Welcome to At The Flicks. At The Flicks, your monthly dose of cinema reviews and comment from the older generation. If you believe there were movies before the Marvel Cinematic Universe and experience does count for something, then you are in the right place. Every month, the three wise old men will review current, recent, and to satisfy our own egos, the occasional classic film. Along with these reviews, there will also be a balcony view and much rhubarbing on cinema trends. And to keep up with the youngsters, we will also introduce a spoiler alert. Although, to be honest, when you've seen as many films as we have, there's not much that surprises you. If you are still with us, then let's introduce these three old codgers. Firstly, there is me, Jeff, whose main cinematic interests are politics and horror. Two things which these days go together like Morecambe and Wise, or, if you're American, Rowan and Martin. Then there is Graham. Hello, hello, hello. Our resident science fiction and comic expert. Youngsters, listen to his words in awe. Finally, and I certainly do mean finally, there is Neil. Hi. Our resident world animation expert. So good at this, he rarely picks animated films to review. How is that for confidence? A little housekeeping before we start proper. This will be a spoiler-heavy show. If you have not seen one or all of the movies we will be reviewing, then please be aware we will be discussing the plot in detail and spoilers will, unfortunately, be inevitable. We will also use the Minion's Fart Blast again as an audio cue to let you know when a review will contain spoilers. So when you hear this sound, you know that the next section contains spoilers. We have set this podcast up to use chapter marks so that you can jump over a particular review if you have not seen that particular movie. This week I'll be reviewing 2017's best film, well it was the best film for me anyway, Blade Runner 2049, starring Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling. And I will be reviewing The Post, the 70-set political drama directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. And I will be reviewing the underrated sequel, Kingsman, The Golden Circle. But to start, let's do something us oldies don't normally do. Look forward to the films being released in 2018, which excite us the most. My new films are uh, some of the unknowns that I don't know about that are interesting. Uh, there's Stan and Ollie in Britain. There's John C. Riley and Steve Coogan. Um, there's an Aussie film, In Like Flynn, uh, from an original biography by uh, Errol Flynn, which could be interesting, set in Australia, his early years. Uh, Definites, uh, Early Man, the Ardman film. Uh, Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, the Wes Anderson. Mary Poppins Returns, okay, no, maybe not that one. Um, Shape of Water, obviously. Uh, Sherlock Gnomes, the sequel to Gnomeo and Juliet. Sicario 2, though Emily Blunt. It's not in it. Mortal Engines, I've read the books, they're, they're, they're very good. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, the biopic of Queen. First Man, Neil Armstrong, and uh, apparently there's a Robin Hood coming as well. Uh, there's also a Jay, Jay and Silent Bob film, and uh, Going Places, a spin-off from The Big Lebowski. Are you sure all of those films are 2018? Uh, the where I looked up them up, yes. Okay. Oh, go on then. What isn't? Well, Hellboy isn't to start off with. Really? Yeah. Well, cross it off then. Uh, Hellboy's actually been was planned for 2018. Has now been moved to 2019 because uh, I also checked that out on IMDb. Anybody else want to criticise? We're not criticising Neil. <laughs> we are the old codgers. We help. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my list. 
Well, I'm actually, I've split my list up into, into a, a, a number of groups. So the superhero stuff first, let's just get that out of the way because my God, I'm suffering from superhero fatigue now. I, there's only a couple of things I want to see, really want to see, and that's the Black Panther, um, Chadwick Boseman. There's a great name for an actor, Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, as Black Panther, I'm really interested to see how they do all the mystical stuff mixed with the high tech stuff. That in the comics it was very, very mystical, and he was talking to his ancestors and all that. I want to see how that works out, especially as his father was killed in the last movie. I want to see how they, if, if they're going to bring him back. Interesting thing is. Um, uh, I saw on Reddit that not one frame of this film's been filmed in Africa. Um, the, most of it was shot in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, South Korea, and the jungle scenes were filmed in Argentina. So, so much for African pride. Thanks, Black Panther. Uh, Deadpool 2, definitely looking forward to that, as you are. Uh, mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds is back as the Merc with a Mouth. I love the first one, and if it's more of the same, I'll just be happy. Then we've got the usual list, Avengers Infinity War. Yes, I'll go to see it, because I've invested so much in this franchise already. You know, it's like a drug, I can't give it up. Incredibles 2, really looking forward to that. Love the first one. Ant-Man and the Wasp, we're getting that 6th of July. I'd be interested to see the duo back together again, as they were in the comics. Is this a buddy movie? Is it a romantic comedy? Don't know yet. Also looking forward to X-Men Dark Phoenix. Uh, still waiting for a really good X-Men movie. That's out 2nd of September. And then finally, at right at the end of the year, 21st of December, a DC Universe will present Aquaman, the often derided comic book character who superpower was that he could talk to fish <laughs> so um, I want to see what they're going to do with that I do like the way for the movies they've got uh, Jason Momoa isn't it yeah they pronounce his name yeah Momoa um, they're giving more of a Hulk vibe than the fish whisperer of the comics so be interested to see that and then again as we said Hellboy's back to next year and the science fiction stuff where I'm really really interested Shape of Water I think where everybody's looking forward to seeing yeah. the Shape of Water Jeff is Shape of Water out already in the States yes it is uh, it released there at the end of last year to qualify for the award um, gone wide through this year it earned a record 13 Oscar nominations over the last few days so it's the lead in the pack Um, I suspect other than technical it isn't unfortunately going to pick up much because of the other films but we'll pick that up in an Oscar special that we got coming up right okay Um, then after Shape of Water which is 14th of February for us here in the UK we've got Ready Player One on the 29th of March Uh, Wade Watts is the main character there played by Ty Sheridan Uh, great book loved it interestingly in the book it's all 80s references it all relates back to the 80s looking at the actual trailer there's some uh, very up-to-date Overwatch characters uh, from the from the computer game Overwatch by Blizzard uh, appear in that. So I don't know whether uh, Steven Spielberg is going to bring in more modern characters to make it appeal to a more modern audience. Solo, a Star Wars trilogy. Want to see that with as well. Uh, that's the 25th of May. Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo. Now, will Ron Howard be able to pull this one out of the fire after it's had such a dodgy start? Jeff? No. 
<laughs> the fact that we have yet to see a trailer, that a lot of the film was reshot, they're going to struggle to re- to make that release date. I think uh, this is going to be the first flop from the Star Wars universe. Okay, uh, and, and just like uh, you, Neil, I'm looking forward to Mortal Engines, read the books. Peter Jackson's directing. Yeah, I'm in. Incredible. Sorry, that's it. I'm in. Okay. So apart from those biggies, Annihilation, 23rd of February. Natalie Portman at plays the biologist. Uh, there were rumours this was going to go straight to Netflix, which is the modern equivalent of straight to DVD. Well, it looks like we're getting a cinema release on the 23rd of Feb. A Wrinkle in Time. I thought this book would be totally unfilmable, but hey, they think they've got it. Um, 9th of March for that one. Pacific Rim Uprising. That's my stupid, big, fighty robots versus monsters film for for the summer blockbuster. I I crossed it out. (laughs) (laughs) Big robots against big monsters. Is there anything more? If you grew up with Harryhausen, what more do you want? Exactly, exactly. It's um, John Bogaiga as uh, Jake... Pentecost, uh, who is Idris Ilbar's son, because there's only two black actors in the UK, <laughs> so they have to be father and son in some movie. Um, so I'm looking forward to that one. Big, silly, leave your brains at home action movie, perfect summer popcorn munching stuff. Then Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, we get on the 7th of June. Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt, and I'm only going to go and see it because of Jeff Goldblum's in it. Oh, cool. Is she going to be running high heels all through this film? <laughs> uh, hopefully. She set a standard for the high heel running, <laughs> and I think she needs to up her game now. And it's her and Mo Farah in high heels, apparently, for the uh, final scene. Can't wait. <laughs> and then we have the weird film uh, on the 20th of July, Alita Battle Angel. Um, this is uh, Rosa Salazar as Alita. Uh, interesting live-action manga mashup sort of thing with Robert Rodriguez directing The Man Who Brought Us Sin City teams up with James Cameron to deliver uh, a manga film effectively should be different and then finally I've got the action films I'm interested in Tomb Raider Alicia Vikander is Lara Croft um, it looks from what I saw in the trailer it looks like it's all based on the Crystal Dynamics reboot of the Lara Croft games They were a huge hit with gamers, so hopefully this will just be a good one. I hated the last Tomb Raider films. I thought they were dreadful. (laughs) Then we've got Proud Mary, which is, uh, as I've written down here, Atomic Blonde 2 with a uh, a black female lead. Um, We've got Mission Impossible 6. It's the summer. We have to have a Mission Impossible film. Um, then there's a couple of things. There's uh, Den of Thieves on the 2nd of Feb and Death Wish on the 6th of April. Uh, Den of Thieves is a heist movie, and that's probably our annual heist movie. And Death Wish is a remake, Jeff. It is. Bruce Willis is now Charles Bronson. There's a scary thought for you all. Um, unlike the first film, which was set in New York in 74 when Charles Bronson filmed it, This is set back into Brian Garfield's novel and set back in Chicago. So, trailers look good. They had to recut the first trailer because of comments about potential racism in that trailer. So they've reworked that and now released it, and they've also postponed the release date of the film, which was due to come out in 2017, now into early 2018. 
And it will be interesting to see on a number of things. One, does the Death Wish saga hold up in modern days? And two, does Bruce Willis still have a film career? (laughs) And uh, we've got Red Sparrow coming out. This is uh, Jennifer Lawrence. And the trailer, looking at the trailer, it could be the Black Widow movie. It really is, you know, Russian agent trained um, to um, assassinate high-profile targets in the West. Um, And strangely, since the release of the trailer, the real Black Widow movie starring Scarlett Johansson just got a green light. And then the film I'm really looking forward to, because I don't, I remember it when I was a kid, but I didn't uh, understand the significance is Seven Days in Entebbe. trailer looks great and I hope it lives up to the hype. Uh, I know, Jeff, you're looking forward to it. Uh, absolutely, that's on my list as well. I mean, there's been three previous Entebbe films, all filmed between 77 and 78. Two from America, Victory at Entebbe and the rather good raid on Entebbe, which, funnily enough, starred Charles Bronson. <laughs> and then in 78, there was the Israeli film Operation Thunderbolt. Now we've had that distance of over 40 years, let's see what secrets are going to be revealed in this film that they couldn't report and show in the film the first time around. Interesting. And then finally, I've got some honourable mentions. I'm really looking forward to First Man, uh, the historical movie about the US space programme and the first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong. Um, so it's got space, it's got NASA, it's got Neil Armstrong, it's got landing on the moon. I think my attendance at this movie is mandatory, really. Yes, I just can't miss this too. one. Uh, Lady Bird I'm looking forward to. This is also another uh, Oscar-nominated thing yeah. that the, our American friends have seen way ahead of us. We don't get it to 16th of Feb, is it? That's correct, Graham, yes. Yeah. With an uh, Irish actress in the lead. Good one. And I, Tonya, on the 23rd of Feb, Feb yeah, Margot Robbie takes on the role of a crazy figure skater. She does crazy well. She was good mm, as Harlequin, was... and she was good in The Wolf of Wall Street, all sort of yeah. psychotic women. I think she's uh, found her niche. And she was pretty evil in Goodbye Christopher Robin as well. <laughs> um... Jeff. Well, thanks, guys. I think there might be one or two films left that you haven't covered. <laughs> I doubt it. Um... What I would like to say is, firstly, all these superhero films you've just heard about, bin them. We've done it. It's been done to death now over the last ten years. Let's move on from that. So, ignoring all superhero films, um, my list, which you'd be pleased to hear is a lot shorter, because as I said, there isn't much left. Journey's End, coming out in February. The latest version of R.C. Sheriff's 1928 play. It's been filmed five times. And by the way, guys, when it was first staged in 1928, amongst the cast was a very young Laurence Olivier. That's just so Jeff, isn't it? it? Really, that's just so Jeff. 1928 references Laurence Olivier, and he's dying to see it, and he doesn't want to see Thor get his hammer out. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) And you see why I'm old. Um, So this is the fifth version, as I said. The best version up to now was the 1976 Aces High with Malcolm McDowell, um, directed by Michael Apted. Well worth seeing if you haven't seen it. Uh, Shape of Water's already been mentioned. Certainly got to be there. 13 Oscar nominations, says it all. Also in Feb, Busy Month, uh, Journeyman. Paddy Constantine writes and directs this story about a boxer who overcomes trauma. Early word from people I know who've seen it said it's um, an emotional powerhouse. Jodie Whittaker, now taking over as Doctor Who, is the nearest I'll get to a superhero, co-stars. <laughs> In Tebby we've covered Ready Player One we've covered, both of which. 
So let's go a bit different for August with the Happy Time Murders. Oh. Now, Brian Henson yes. has directed this long time in development film about a world where puppets and humans live side by side, a murder's being committed, and Melissa McCarthy and uh, Mayor Rodolph play two human characters who have to solve the murder. It's sort of like Roger Rabbit, but a bit edgier, and I can't wait for that. Now, one thing you'll know from these podcasts as we go on is we won't cover many horror films. That's because my two fellow presenters refuse to watch them. So, while I'm really looking Not forward good. to uh, watching Halloween... Uh, on, this your Halloween. on your own. <laughs> on your yeah. own. Yeah. We have Jamie Lee Curtis back, Nick Castle, who played the shape in the original, or Mike Myers, not to be confused with the comedian, in the original, is well, also back. Make it better, wouldn't it? Yes, I'd watch it if it was Mike Myers, the comedian, does mm. Halloween, yeah. There's no Donald presence this time around, so, you know, we've got to take everything we can from this film. Um, but as I said, a lot back, and the hook on this film is it ignores everything after the first Halloween film that was filmed way back in 78. And after that, I would have talked and gone on and on about First Man and Mortal Engines, but my fellow presenters already covered them, so I'll end it there. I think First Man is going to be something special. Really yes. It's about time. So, we've looked forward to what's to come this year. Let's start looking in-depth at our review section. And in this review section, we have two highlights potentially from 2017 and a new one certainly in the UK for 2018 and I'll pick that up with a review of The Post. Now before starting this review I have to confess that I'm in total awe of Steven Spielberg. <laughs> to be honest I can say that's my reaction about most of his films however in this instance it's the speed he has created this film with its clear topical re reference and the way it relates back to what's currently going on in America. To put that in perspective, the announcement that Steven Spielberg was going to make the post came in March 2017, 45 days after Donald Trump was inaugurated. Filming started in May 2017, and the film was released in America in December 2017. I mean, wow, come on, guys. Yeah, Any stretch of the imagination, that's pretty good. And add to that, he was already directing Ready Player One. And that's why I say I'm in awe, because he had a major film going, and he decided to sneak in another one for us. So, set in the scene, what's the post about? Well, it's the true story of the release of the Pentagon Papers. Now, the Pentagon Papers were created in 1967-68 under the instruction of the then American Secretary of Defence, Robert McNamara. His purpose was to create, and I quote, an encyclopedic history of the Vietnam War, end quote, for future generations. They were incendiary because they revealed the lies successive American governments had told about US involvement in Vietnam. Unfortunately for McNamara, there were people who believed these papers should be released to the population. And that's pretty much where the film picks up in 1971. Now, just before going into the film, I'd like to say that um, Bob, or Robert McNamara, is played by the excellent character actor Bruce Greenwald, who is no stranger to play in sort of more presidential roles. We'll be talking <laughs> later about Kingsman the Golden Circle, where he played the president, but of course he once played JFK in the film 13 Days. Now, in the film, 
McNamara has created the papers and is one of his aides, Daniel Ellsberg, another fine performance from Welsh actor Matthew Rees, is the guy who actually releases the papers. Now, Ellsberg's plan is to get the papers to the New York Times for publication. However, President Nixon's administration stopped the publication by court injunction. This is where Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, the stars, come in. They portray in Washington Post owners Catherine Graham and editor Ben Bradley. They also come into possession of part of the Pentagon Papers and have to make the decision to publish or not to publish. And that is the crux of the film. The feature of their newspaper or the freedom uh, of the press. Now, for some people, this might sound like a dry drama. And for others like me, an exciting and timely reminder about the importance of the freedom of the press. And the truth is, if I'm honest, the film falls somewhere between these two points of view. As the post is essentially a lot of people in rooms talking, you do need a strong hook to get you into the film. And this is where the film falls short. You are expected to know key facts before you start watching. Uh, It's not explained who Robert McNamara is. And not enough details is given about his links to the Pentagon Papers. Luckily for me, I've been watching Ken Burns' excellent documentary series on the Vietnam War, which give me a lot of lead-in on that. So uh, I'd, also, I'd also watched the, the um, Vietnam uh, TV series, and yeah, it, a huge help, a huge help. The, the start of this movie is all over the place, from my point of view, and having those few key points already explained to me really really helped but yeah Uh, absolutely and other people I've spoken to have said that they they found it very difficult to warm to the film because they didn't quite know what was going going on and I think given more time that first act of the film which is the weak part of the film could have been tightened could have been more clearly explained and I'll, I'll give you an example where Spielberg has done that in the past is the opening of Bridge of Spies which again is another complex subject but it brings you in um, at the right point it's very clear what's going on who the main people are and that I felt was missing from um, from Bridge of uh, sorry that I felt was missing from The Post now after the first act, it settles into a more traditional film of newspapers against uh, a bigger authority. And I think where it really pays dividends, and I, I don't sure if you guys will agree with me, but I think that the casting of Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, playing personas and roles that they've done in the past, really paid off. Because you could relate to these characters. Um, even though it's quite odd for me watching Tom Hanks playing Ben Bradley smoking throughout the film. I don't think I've ever seen Tom Hanks smoke in a film, no. but there we go. Um, and I think they make a real good point of creating that 70s atmosphere through the cinematography, John Williams's excellent music, which recalls some of the works of David Shire and Michael Small, um, in an essence carrying on with films like All the President's Men and Marathon Man. And I think as a result of that, it builds to a rousing and quite moving finale. Now, it's quite clear that this film is meant to parallel Donald Trump's attack on the continued attack on what he calls fake news, the likes of CNN and Washington Post, oddly enough. Uh, And I think it makes that point really well. 
Um, however, it is interesting to note that as good as this film is for those latter two acts, it hasn't really gained much in terms of award season. So BAFTA didn't nominate it for anything, and it was only nominated for two Oscars. I mean, that overlong Star Wars The Last Jedi got nominated for four. I mean, come on, guys, what's going on here? So, in short, not the greatest Spielberg, but builds to a rousing finale. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I saw it as well. Well, I saw it with you, Jeff. <laughs> and, I mean, yes, I, I, I love uh, Steven Spielberg as well, but it's a Spielberg story. You know, it's 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 interesting story, well told, simple, straightforward. You know, you're not going to get layers of complex interweaving narrative. The end's going to be tied up nicely. Um, it's a historical movie, so we know how it ends. You know, there's no spoilers there. But some things in this movie really just jarred with me. They're Tom Hanks, I, I, you know, I'm a huge Tom Hanks fan. I thought he was great in uh, Bridge of Spies uh, and, and everything. From Turner and Hooch, I just thought he's been brilliant. But I thought he was overacting in this at some points. And other points, I thought he was just phoning it in. He wasn't really having any effort. The initial breakfast meeting between uh, Hanks and Street, there was just something very odd about that whole breakfast scene and I'm going to have to watch that again on download uh, and see but I just thought are these people hamming it up you know here's the probably the two most famous um, actors, of actors, actors, actors yeah. of our generation yeah and, and I thought they were just over, over, overacting it uh, and the interaction with Hank's wife uh, played by Sarah Paulson Hank's seemed just unengaged I, and I know the film was rushed and I know they made it very very quickly and they had to do things to try and get it out for the end of the year but uh, Paulson she owned those scenes and I felt that Hanks was just a, a bystander um, and she's the one who delivers the great lines about the bravery of Mrs Graham and the fact that she can lose everything um, and Hanks just looked confused through that. Now Jeff and I have some serious reservations about the cinematography here. Jeff thinks it's great. I think I thought it was terrible. Uh, I really did. I thought, you know, the office, the cars, the clothes were spot on for the period. No need to shoot the entire movie through a soft, grainy filter. The cinematographer, uh, Janos Kamenitsky, I think it is, he did Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List. I mean, the, the guy can do cinematography, so why on earth did he go for this cheesy sort of all the president's men uh, vibe? I just thought that was a little bit, a little bit lazy. Well, a few interesting <laughs> points I've got to disagree with there. So I'll go back again to the complexity of the material they're dealing with and the whole Pentagon Papers and trying to get that through. So what we're talking of here, in my interpretation of the film, are shortcuts. Hanks represents a persona of what Tom Hanks is, and I think that's quite useful to get you into the film after this, the way the film stumbles in the first act. I... I can't say enough to disagree about that cinematography. <laughs> I just think that um, it was absolutely spot on. And I know we're getting on in years, Graham. Maybe we both need eye tests. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> One of us is wrong here. Maybe that's what we need to do. But I just thought in the recreation in that period, I, I, I thought it, it was was really good. And the way they recreated, I, I went back and watched a bit of All the President's Men. So you got that feeling of the newsroom there. 
and I just thought that the, the capturing of it in this film was as good as it was in All the President's Men and by the way and I've got to add this and you can hit the spoiler alert if you wish this isn't my idea somebody else said it I love the fact that somebody said that Rogue One and The Post have exactly the same ending I just thought that was tremendous and what that means is they both bleed into other films Oh yes, yeah. Okay. So I think that um, yeah. I, I, I think that was really good. But no, no, no. I I I've got to disagree with you on on Hanks' performance. What do you think of Streep's performance? I thought well, I just thought she was excellent. I did. I I really, you know, she starts off. I, there, was, there was some great stuff in it. So she starts off very unsure of herself. Her husband's just committed suicide. She's confused. She's running a massive company, uh, and she played that well. Are you sure he committed suicide? Didn't he just die of uh, heart no. problems? No, she said in the thing, she said, okay. why does everybody keep saying it's heart? He committed suicide. I think she means he committed suicide by overwork. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's another uh, thing. Up. We're going we're to have to check that one out <laughs> yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe. Uh, yeah, I thought she was great. And then she grew into the role. I like the way every time she went into a meeting, the doors would open. She'd walk in looking great, you know, and she'd walk in and it'd be full of old white men. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was just this so captured the early 70s. And it was he did it two or three times where she went into a meeting and it was all the bankers, all the lawyers, and um, it was just full of, of old white men. Uh, interesting you say that, because that may be another reason why it's not getting award nominations, because it doesn't reflect the current Me Too movement. Ooh. Potentially. That's not in any way a put-down, but it, it may be it's out of step. I think it's no, no. I think it's quite in step. It was showing what things were like, you know, and where we've come from, you know, and yeah, it was terrible. But without broadening this discussion too much, it yeah, looks at it in terms of where it is historically, whereas a film like Three Billboards looks at it and then broadens that discussion. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll give you that one. That's really good. Okay, well, here's my riposte then. What about the cheesy bits of the bloody film, right? And there, and there was some real big cheese in this film. Right? It's a newspaper paper story, right? So at some point, uh, it, again, it's mandatory. Somebody has to say, stop the presses, right? Uh, it's just, <laughs> right? They didn't. They it's... said, start the presses, which I thought was good. That was fun, you know. Oh, oh start the presses, that's different. Um, and it, there was a bit of feeling of real tension. Will they get the, the ruling from the, the courts in time for them to publish? And, and that was quite good. But then they completely cocked it up. They had they showed the oldest trope in cinema. We see the presses rolling, we have the papers being loaded onto the lorries, and then the lorries actually spring out of the streets onto the onto the streets of Washington. Out, they came out like a, at a bounce, a sort of ta-da! The post is here. Here comes the truth. Cheddar and Stilton everywhere. It was just so cheesy. You have the basis of a good argument, except for one thing that undermines all of that. Cheddar? It's a true story. Yes. It really happened. I don't think those vans left the post building that fast. And, <laughs> and if we're talking in newspaper cliches, I'm sorry, I didn't notice anybody at any point in that film say, you got 24 hours, kid, and you better make it good. That didn't happen. Oh, yeah, true. Can I get my nerd rage out? Okay. Right, okay. The opening scene in Vietnam. 
1965. It says in big letters, 1965 Vietnam, and they're playing Creedence Clearwater Revival, <laughs> Green River, Creedence Clearwater Revival. As we all know, and everybody listening to this podcast, formed in 1967, and Green River was off their third album in 1979. It's a historical movie. Get the history right, guys. Don't have a piece of music that wasn't around while we're in Vietnam. So that oh, annoyed the hell out of me. When, I, when the first light, the first guitar chord struck, I went, oh, no, they're not doing this old trope. And luckily I said the first act wasn't that good, so I can back out of this argument. Yeah, but... Phew. <laughs> Pos- positive things I liked. I really, really liked the whole movie, as, you know, despite the fact that I sounded a bit Debbie Downer and uh, niggly Nigel there. Oh, the backing music's not the right period. But uh, I thought the ensemble cast was great. I thought the guys, two guys who played the lawyers uh, were excellent. Um... I like the light the movie shines on our current dark times. The movie showed a time when the press held the powerful to account, a time when truth mattered. I thought the fact that the First Amendment withstood the attacks of an unscrupulous president and the Founding Fathers won, I thought, again, it's Spielberg. Good story, well told. And let's not forget Welsh architect Matthew Rees, who was extremely good. So, to lower the tone, I'm reviewing Kingsman, Golden Circle. I only watched it once, so lots of research to remind myself. I'm not that young anymore, so six months is an awful long time. Also, with the DVD about to be released, I'll try not to spoil it. So, the film, strangely disappointing, especially since I loved the first one. Um, when I watch a film, I let it wash over me. It's a way of switching off. It, but I rate films on the ability to keep me in the film. I get engaged into it. Therefore, jarring moments can make a film really just ruin it for me. First Kingsman is witty, sharp, rag to riches, brilliant stylized action scenes. The scene in the church to Free Bird is awesome, just to show I'm, in, I'm actually engaged in the film and I don't notice too much. I didn't even know it was Free Bird in the church scene until I looked it up. It was one of my favorites from 2015. So to the sequel. The first jarring jarring moment. I'm sure it's mentioned why or how, but the posh Charlie's who was in the first Charlie was in the first film. He his head grows back. Uh, The second one, (laughs) Harry Colin Firth returns. Sure, statesmen saved him with that bit of plastic, but why didn't they stop the killing in the church then? Now I don't know much about repairing heads and brains, but surely you've got to be on the scene pretty quick to be able to do anything. Are you trying to add logic to a James Bond spoof? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, Well, once I'm out of it, well, I might start thinking about these things. That's the problem. If I can engage and I I can switch it all off. So somehow they managed to stop, to to save him uh, by getting there quick enough, but they didn't stop uh, Valentine from getting away having shot someone in the face. I don't know. And what else did statesmen do? The billions being killed and they just ignored it, did they? And then they had the gall when they... and Merlin turn up to accuse them of not being very good. They've just saved the world. I just couldn't get past it, I'm afraid. So, some funny moments. Channing Tatum, just all of everything Channing Tatum does. Uh, Julianne Moore, I thought was really good. I've seen criticisms of her and I thought she was very good. The scene in the... um, 
Eggsy meeting the um, the in-laws was excellent, where yeah. he comes out with some Swedish, and the, the King of Sweden uh, looks at him and says, I think we should do our guest the honour of speaking in English. <laughs> Burn. Um, the great action scenes, Taxi, of course, I was slightly ruined by the fact that his head grew back in order to fight Eggsy. Uh, the snow resort, the fight at the end, the good bits, the, the Mark Strong singing John Denver um, and the, uh, the the whole plot was reasonable I thought the interesting discussion on drugs versus alcohol and cigarettes and other things that are uh, are addictive uh, why can't they bring drug, drugs back well for, for a number of reasons um, it's too easy to nitpick Especially on a film where you need to switch job. off that, oh my God, that can't happen in the real world button. And I know this is a spoof and I know this is a sort of James Bond with the real bits added in and blood everywhere and, and such. But there's a couple of things from the first film. If you really enjoy the first film, there's just those two bits that sort of ruined it. Uh, how did they manage to put Charlie back? I suppose they wanted somebody we knew in order to, you know, so they didn't have to come back with... That's three times now you've mentioned Charlie being put back together. I think you're wrong. I don't think, if you go back and look at the original film, that isn't quite well, it's what not happened. Out yet in blue, well, blue the original, Ray. Kingsman, so you see oh, what Kingsman. happens to him at the end. But, you know, that's 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 fine, yeah. You uh, okay. Carry on. Oh, so maybe there's I'm, funny things to people. Yeah, okay. yeah well, it made me... Made, um, I did, couldn't, couldn't remember it. I am old. But a jarring moment for me makes me lose focus and I'm watching other things, like trying to spot problems. So, yeah, it should, drags me back, but Colin Firth returning. It was too much of a bomb note, I'm afraid. Um, so it's not perfect, it's a bit of a mess, um, but it's fun, entertaining. I'm sure I'll grow to appreciate it after watching it three or four more times. Spoiler alert. Merlin dies. He's split into several pieces, but he'll be back in the next one, won't he? <laughs> um, Comment, Jeff. Just pick I'm up sure on that will. spoiler alert. Um, Mark Strong's final scene was extremely good. Almost oh, moving. I agree. I agree. Um, and I don't think he will be back now. <laughs> no, he's in. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I thought, thought that last bit was fantastic. All the scenes are very good. It's just when it takes me out of the film, it just ruins it for me. Uh, I had a, a similar thought. I mean, I thought it was... Uh, uh, I looked back at my review I did, and I said, it, yes, it's brash, it's, you know, crass, it's bang, silly, it's wallop so. and silly, but it's supposed to be. You know? Yes, I agree. Uh, and that I agree. And, and the thing... A couple of things annoyed me. They're following exactly the same beats as the original. Yeah. Big opening action scene, bad things happen, more action and things get resolved until the buddy pulls a twist, and then big action finish with the death of a beloved character, and then a final joke. You yeah. Know? And it yeah. was the, it was exactly the same. And my comment in my review was, where do they take this next? You know, they've done two uh, world-stopping crazy psychopaths and a race to save the world. They need to change it up for the next movie. Uh, mind you, that's never stopped the Fast and the Furious, has it? They've done seven films that are all exactly the same. I think, guys, you're both missing the point here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, almost completely. Uh, I don't. Don't this know why I is a it. spoof of James Bond. Yeah. Are you saying that every James Bond film is different? Because <laughs> most of them aren't. No, it's Shakespeare. It's Shakespeare. Well, absolutely. It's you know, yeah. <laughs> back in the days of Sir Roger Moore, you know, when Bond films were Bond films, I'm kidding. Me. They were fun. 
And this recreates that fun. Now, I remember as a kid watching uh, You Only Live Twice, the first one film I ever saw, and that feel of spectacle, you know, irreverent comment, mindless violence, is there in Kingsman. Admittedly, I could never have seen anything like that when I was a kid. But... <laughs> But it does capture that feeling of what the fun was with the Bond films. I agree with you. I agree with you. But the bit where they brought back two characters because they couldn't be bothered to bring in another couple of characters and build up their character, they just went, oh, let's do something cheap and put them in. Okay, Okay. I might be wrong on the uh, Charlie one. No, okay, because the the Bond films are the height of decent storytelling, <laughs> and when Richard Keeler's Jaws came back, that wasn't a surprise to anybody, really, was it? Oh, this character that had these steel teeth. But he was Jaws. Um, yes, yeah, and I rest my case. Um, I would like to point out two other actors in this who I thought had a whale of a time. I think you mentioned Elton John. I'll never be able to listen to Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting no. in the same way again. But I would also like to mention the aforementioned Bruce Greenwood who we mentioned uh, in the post his American president who was double dealing on the side and I'm sure has more than a passing resemblance to someone we now know and love (laughs) was extremely funny I take your point as well Neil that um, the the character of Julianne Moore and the whole argument on drugs as Samuel Jackson's argument in the first film about overpopulation of valid arguments by megalomaniacs, and I think that's a great deal of fun as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, uh, but I think it's fantastic fun. It's not quite as good as the original. It hasn't got no, that freshness. I don't think so. But anything where director Matthew Vaughan and writer Jane Goldman get together, yeah. it's always a class act. And I, I you know, I'm, I can list off their films here: Stardust, Kickass, the uh, one of the X Men. Oh, films. I agree. Yes, absolutely. Um, I just thought this tremendous. one wasn't quite as good. And they're going to do a third. And you know what? I'll be there. I'll be ex- as excited as ever. Certainly more than some of these nonsense superhero films we've been talking about. <laughs> and twist the knife. And yeah. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did say I am tired of superhero movies as well. I mean, to, look, when they first came out, it was, you know, oh, here's the comics of my youth mm. up on the big screen. But holy cow, how many superhero movies are we in now? We must be about 18 or 20 movies that we're in. You know, it's it's oh, it's fatiguing. Yeah. But I think for as many as we've gone past, we've got as many coming this year. But the worst and thing I is that they're pushing good, good movies out. And that's that, they, and we've talked about this a lot. This is the Star Wars effect at Christmas. Mm. We always get a Star Wars movie kicking out uh, everything around yeah. Christmas. So we get this big sort of gap, you know, where we have to spend time with our families, you know, instead of going to the movies. It's just it's, unbelievable. It's not, it's not, it's not, not acceptable, and, is it? And I think this is... I mean, we've all picked films from... This Christmas that we're looking forward to see. Graham, you've unfortunately picked a superhero movie, but we'll gloss over that. Um, but Mortal Engines, you know, wouldn't have been there had there been a Star Wars release this year. So they are taking chances on, on other things. First Men opens in the UK November. at the end of November, so yeah. that will sort of again bleed into the Christmas period. So um, that, I think, again, there's a, there's a few things there that, that are quite good. But no, I think just Kingsman is a refreshing change. So come, in, come on, when was the last time you laughed at a Daniel Craig James Bond movie? I think enough said. 
And now it's over to me, and my film I'm going to be reviewing is uh, Blade Runner 2049. So, to me, Blade Runner 2049 is the perfect uh, follow-up to Ridley Scott's 1982 masterpiece. Um, for the serious hardcore sci-fi fan, or Blade Runner fan, <clears throat> it's just perfect. Um, the movie, however, does have its problems. It's not a sequel for the casual Blade Runner. Uh, fan or even for people who just like sci-fi movies in general it's very long it's 166 minutes who's going to sit and watch a complex slow-paced sequel to a weird 35 year old movie Ridley Scott didn't he said it was over long and slow <laughs> and he should know yeah the man who brought us all of those alien films like Prometheus and what was the last terrible bloody thing he did Alien Covenant, Prometheus it, is a classic. Let's oh, put that in Alien Covenant, sorry, yes, you are right. Okay, yeah, so um, the, the, the main uh, problems with this uh, are the themes are very complex. The, the nature of life, what it is to be human, born versus made, uh, the owning and treatment of slaves, human replicant hybrids, uh, can a non-physical construct be considered live, uh, a life? You know, Kay's girlfriend in the movie is a hologram of all things is she a living being does she you know do, is she self-aware uh, how do our memories define us uh, and then the whole piece about Wallace um, the, 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 the basically the baddie in the film you know the, the, he's the savior of humanity but he's clearly a psychopath um, so th there's very very um, deep questions asked in this movie and and it's not an upbeat movie things on planet earth are worse you know it starts off in 2016 with the original Blade Runner by 2049 and um, things are a lot lot worse um, it's not upbeat there's no plucky hero fighting against the odds the weather has gone mad there's now a massive seawall protecting LA from the rising sea level because of the global warming um, there was a global blackout which destroyed most of the world's records there's a famine um, and the city of LA has expanded massively and there's huge areas of slums and they fly over them in the uh, in their um, in the start of the film and it's just miles and miles and miles of slums there's roaming scavengers outside the city and someone has exploded a dirty bomb just outside Las Vegas so it's not really upbeat um, and the main problem however with 2049 for the ordinary uh, cinema goer is that it it speaks only to the dark core of the original uh, there's no hero cop. The Blade Runners are now replicants who hunt the older models. And Blade Runners are held in utter contempt by humans. Um, but if you liked the dark side of the original movie, then this is actually a treat. And the original movie came from two basic uh, uh, concepts. What they marketed it, it as is, um, here's Harrison Ford, cop, hunting down uh, these robots uh, to kill them. Now, anybody who dug a bit deeper realises that this is a Philip K. Dick uh, movie. Um, and uh, while Ridley Scott says he didn't read much Philip K. Dick, Hampton de Fancier, uh, the guy who did the screenplay, read everything that Dick 
uh, wrote uh, and was a bit of a, a Philip K. Dick fan. Now, the key themes in most of Dick's works are deception, illusion, and the mixing of dream states and reality. Uh, however, <laughs> a small problem with Philip K. Dick, his contemporaries, even his best friends, called him a drug adult nut. Uh, and his drug of choice, oh, not heroin or cocaine for, for Mr. Dick. No, no, his drug of choice was horse tranquilizers. So pretty much a, a downer uh, on everything. I mean, the first uh, Philip K. Dick book I ever read was The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. Yeah, even the title is a bit of a mind game. And the main themes of this book, alienation, blurred reality and despair. Yeah, it's a fun book. You want to talk about mind games? What's the original title for Blade Runner? Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, most casual movie goers are going to th think the original Blade Runner is a cool looking cyberpunk chase movie where a future super policeman hunts down and brings to justice nasty killer robots. Okay, on the surface, that's what the movie presents, uh, and that's how it was marketed by Warner Brothers. However, for the Blade Runner fans and science fiction nerds in general, there's something much darker and much deeper going on. Are you ready to go darker, gentlemen? Let's go. I certainly am. Right. And I'm now so going to... Follow me down the rabbit hole into the land of Mr. Philip K. Dick. Right. Harrison Ford is a super policeman who hunts down killer robots and brings them to justice. Not in Philip K. Dick's world. No. Harrison Ford is a mercenary member of a death squad that tracks down and executes escaped slaves. That's what it says in the opening section of the, of the film. Right? Harrison Ford is not a policeman. He's not bound by any legal constraints. His mission is to find replicants and kill them, air them out, as Captain Bryant so eloquently puts it. In fact, the same phrase is used in 2049 when Kay's Lieutenant Joshi says she wants to close out a group of, of replicants. Nice little link back to the original film in that. So let that sink in for a moment. He's a part of a death squad and he hunts escaping slaves. So... The central themes of 2049, humans working at the Tyrell Corporation developed a technology that created enhanced sentient life with a nod and a wink to Mary Shelley's Dr. Frankenstein. 200th birthday this year? It is 200th year, the novel's first publication. Yes. Right. How did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff told me. Jeff tells me everything. Okay, so replicants aren't robots, they're flesh and blood, and the only way to tell they're not, that they are not human is to do this protracted procedure called the Voigt-Kemp test. Um, so Terrell now has the power of God, right? Just like Dr. Frankenstein. And what do they do with this power? Well, the first thing they do is they cripple their creation with a four-year lifespan. Then they ship them to the off-world colonies, where they use them as slaves, okay? And then the slaves rebel and try to get back to Earth, and they set up a highly trained death squad that called Blade Runners to execute them. Now that's not the worst of it. Let's go back to that four-year lifespan, shall we? They gave them four years of a lifespan. So what we're basically saying is Tyrell actually pre-programmed and pre-planned a genocide. Every four years, Tyrell Corporation culls one quarter of the replicant population all of them four-year-olds, by the way. So it's not genocide, it's child genocide, just to make it a happy film. Now, people will really often say to me when I say this to them, they say, well, that's a bit dark, Graham. I didn't get that from the movie. Really? 
I just want to add at this point, this is a film review podcast. It is not Psychology Monthly. <laughs> right. So when people say, you know, it's not that re- really that dark, is it? I say, well, look at the opening crawlers uh, for Blade Runner. A being virtually identical to a human, known as a replicant. Replicants were superior in strength and agility, and at least equal in intelligence to the engineers who created them. Blade Runner units had orders to shoot to kill. This wasn't called execution. This was called retirement. Nice bit of uh, Orwellian um, doublespeak there. So that's what you're told in there. And 2049 drops us right back into this dark, dark world. Um, Only things are much worse there. We learn that replicants are sterile. And this is the only advantage that humans have. If they cannot reproduce, then in evolutionary terms, replicants are a dead end. And 2049 makes a big point of this. The phrase born, not made is used quite often. And Kay, the central character, when asked to kill uh, Deckard and uh, Rachel's child, says, I've never retired something with a soul. And there's a definitely a Philip K. Dick line there, you know, something with a soul, retirement rather than killed. You know, there's loads of uh, stuff going on there. And the entire movie is just a police procedural. I loved it because it was just a a really nice, interesting uh, police procedural. Find the child before Wallace does. And as Kay unravels one mystery after another, he is hampered by false memories and false trails laid down to cover the child's location. These false trails are so devious that at one point he actually, Kay, believes that he is the child of Deckard and Rachel. Um, uh, and this leads to some interesting sidelines. Um, so it's a, it's a good old detective uh, story. Uh, and uh, Kay finds Deckard, uh, but uh, inadvertently leads Wallace's hit woman to Deckard. Deckard is captured. Kay, uh, Kay escapes with help from the replicant underground. Kay rescues Deckard and kills Wallace's hit woman. Kay realizes he's that only one person could have be- created his false memories. Kay brings Deckard to meet his daughter, and Kay dies on the steps of the, the place where his daughter works. Oh, that's definitely a major spoiler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it may so, be, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's a good police procedural. It's a good story. It's well told. It goes to the heart of the first film. The true fans of the first film love it. Um, it's shot in the same way as the original one. I thought it was just magnificent. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Oh, I wish that was the Blade Runner 2049 that I saw, but it wasn't. So, let's just pick up very briefly on a few of those points. Let's go back to the original Blade Runner. Um, so, I take your points on the essentially that Harrison Ford is a hitman. Yeah. What, yeah. Uh, what another name for the original film. However, if you compare the film to the book, and they are very different oh, narrative Yeah, ways, very different. But the end point of both of them is the same, in that uh, the Deckard character realises ultimately what it is to be human, whether or, or essentially what life is, whether it's him confronting Rutger Hauer um, with that famous um, I've seen things you people mm. wouldn't believe speech at the end of the film, or the turtle that's turned upside down in the novel itself. You know, it's this appreciation for life and that life will find a way. Now, whereas I think the original film worked and this doesn't, is I think what Scott did was really clever. 
You're quite right, it is detective. He went 40 years into the future, but he went 40 years back in terms of style, looking, and again, come back to my favourite thing of smoking, even though I don't smoke, but there, there was a lot of 40s cinema and certainly 40s noir cinema mm. um, in there. And it gives you an in into that film that, that I don't think the new one has. And a couple of points that you said I'd like to pick up on. You very accurately described what the world was like um, in 2049 after the 2018 of mm. the original Blade Runner. Now, you don't get that from the film. You get that from a series of shorts that were put out on the internet before the film was released that explained the history. Um, so immediately is this almost sort of elitism, if you like, on the part of the filmmakers, um, by a filmmaker who, quite frankly, is overrated. Uh, he, also, he also made a rival, and that's extremely overrated. Oh, but what? We'll, we'll touch on that again. Um, but y- you've got this whole look um, that, that's being created. You've got a character... Ryan Gosling normally has loads of charisma. He has zero in this film, um, and the film, as Ridley Scott point, says, is overlong and slow, and it only really gets going when Harrison Ford comes oh, in. No. At that point, there's a gear change. There's humour. I know it's a novel concept in the future. Clearly, that in all this seriousness, they got rid of humour. Um, but it, you know it's much needed and I think that um, as we get to the end picks up the pace and, and is really good unfortunately they leave the film open for another potential sequel which in my opinion I hope they don't make just a couple of things right it's over long says the man who's quite willing to watch a 10 episode Netflix about killer robots in Westworld Right, in so one night. in one night and binge watch it. Yeah, things I liked the the fact that it was long and they worked through everything and we got to mm, see all of the too. nuts and bolts. I mean, yeah, it's it's over long and I know the cinemas had a major problem with it at 166. They could put on you know three Mamma Mia's for two uh, Blade Runners and probably make a lot more money <laughs> as well. Two It's, two Kingsman, two American Assassins, but they all came out more or less the same, same time. Exactly. So. I mean, they got it out of the cinema quickly. And again, I think this will be just the same as Blade Runner. When Blade Runner came out, they called it Blade Crawler, and they hated it. The critics hated it, and I think it's a great movie. So you think it's going to hold its own against Mamma Mia 2? <laughs> no, well, it's, it's, hang on. it's a hard call, but <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, and and, and uh, I I th- I liked uh, I liked the the slow build up. I liked the fact that we got to understand Kay more. I liked the fact that he ends up realizing that you know they are going to have uh, replicants are going to be fertile at last. They're not they're not going to be these sterile beings, and then it's over for humanity basically. But uh, yeah, I I take your point. They definitely set it up for a third, because it ends with you know. Uh, Where's the uh, where's the spoiler alert? Yeah, <laughs> right. The minions fart blaster comes in. There. Um, I, I they definitely left it up for a third because you don't know how are they going to to, to how the replicants going to become fertile. They've only got one example. She has to live in a bubble. Lots and lots of interesting points there. But I did. I just thought it it worked so well, and I was so worried about this film for 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 months before it came out. I thought, oh, they're going to screw this up. I don't think 
Villeneuve. I don't think Villeneuve is overrated at all. I thought Arrival was one of the best science fiction films of the year. Uh, what was it? 2015? 2016? 2016. Uh, 2016. Sicario, Arrival, and Blade Runner 2049. Three of the most overrated films oh, of recent years. Sicario? Yeah. Give over. Sicario was great. Oh, yeah. You have no soul, Jeff. Yeah. I'm Clearly, I'm a replicant over. then. Yes, uh, you are. <laughs> you probably, yes, yeah. Yeah. Made not born. <laughs> yeah. Cull you after four years. I yeah. think I'm probably late on that one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I thought it was great. Okay, thank you. That's almost it from us this month. After all these new films, here are our recommendation of older movies that we will be looking at in the next month, but not necessarily talking about them on the show. For myself, it's the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein. Remember that when it was first published, Neil? Yeah, thank uh, you. Uh, so, I would recommend Tim Burton's excellent Frankenweenie, not the animated version, but his original live-action short filmed in black and white back in 1984. Also, there is the very odd 1910 version of Frankenstein, which the BFI have uploaded to YouTube. For me, uh, gross, gross point blank. John Cusack, Alan Arkin and Dan Aykroyd are all superb in it and the story's brilliant. As for next month... Jeff will be reviewing Guillermo del Toro's award-winning The Shape of Water. And Neil will be reviewing Ardman's latest Early Man. And Graham will be reviewing Black Panther. So much for my Marvel comments at the beginning, but let's hope it's as much fun as Blade Runner 2049. And if you want a younger person's perspective on the films we discussed, then why not check out Phil the Bear's film reviews, which can be found on all one word here, this modern technology, philthebearblog.wordpress.com. It's highly recommended. And finally, before we go, here's a quiz just for fun. What is the connection between Christopher Walken's Max Schreck character from Batman Returns and Thomas F. Wilson's character from Back to the Future 2's Alternative 1985? Answer next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Many thanks to the artist Silent Partner for our podcast music. You can find more by the excellent Silent Partner on the YouTube audio library. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a comment in iTunes or, better still, hit the subscribe button. This will ensure that you don't miss any future episodes of At The Flicks. You can also visit our website at theflicks.co.uk for show notes and comments. We'll be adding more content to the website shortly. You can get in touch with the show via email. The email address is show at attheflix.co.uk. Oh, and it doesn't matter if you spell flix, F-L-I-C-K-S, or F-L-I-X, as we've got both email addresses covered. Our Twitter address will be coming shortly for those who prefer tweeting to email. At The Flix is a monthly podcast and comes out on the last day of each month. So see you for the next one at the end of the month. And thanks again for listening.